1: It's Rick Tittle!
2: All right, thank you for that, and uh, welcome to the downtown San Francisco studios of the Sports Byline USA Broadcast Network. Great to have you with us around the world, wherever you might happen to be listening. My name is Rick Tittle, in my customary time slot, 9 to noon Pacific time, noon to 3 on the East Coast, bringing you sports talk and entertainment talk, interactive, meaning you can be a part of it. Just call the toll free line as you see fit. Toll free, pay for the call. You pay for my soul, point. No, not that, but here it is. Ready? 800-878-PLAY. 1-800-878-7529. Football, basketball, baseball, hockey, soccer, golf, tennis, auto-racing, boxing, Olympics, Coda of about chess, checkers, rugby, cricket. If it is sports, I am interested in your call. <clears throat> Once again, 1-800-878-PLAY. Cross this great land of ours, Romania. Uh, no, U.S. of A. Bleeding over the border into Mexico, El País Amigo, and also canada Happy boot that for sure, eh? the whole Calgary organization with the Aki A. Eh? All right, sorry. Rick, we don't talk about that. We talk about other things. Also, um, TuneIn app, iHeartRadio app, Stitcher app. You can check me out on Twitch.tv as well as I look into the cameras here. Twitch.tv search for sports byline in my hoodie and winter jacket because it's a meat locker in here. Um <laughs> Hanging Meat <clears throat> is the name of my podcast. That sounds gross in many ways, I know. Uh American Forces Radio Network. How proud am I very to be on AFN. I'm a fan of the military, whatever branch you're with, you're doing a great job. Stay safe, come home soon. Thank you for everything you do for us and our allies. Keep up the good work. We got a show for you, three hours. We'll have Alyssa Rosenberg from the Washington Post, Jesse Thorne from SketchFest, Nick Alfieri, Brent Kraft, Ronald K. Free, Dave Hill will be back for SketchFest as well. How will we fit it in? You're going to have to just sit back and relax and enjoy the show and come on back.
3: Did you know that driving under the influence of marijuana is illegal? Driving high will get you a DUI. And if you're wondering if law enforcement can tell you're driving high, well, everyone else can. Friends?
4: I can tell you drove high. Parents? I can tell when you drive high.
3: Relatives? I can tell. You drove here high, didn't you? So what makes you think law enforcement can't? I can tell. If you feel different, you drive different. Drive high, get a DUI. Paid for by NHTSA.
0: ask about spirit's vision plan here's the number 800-634-0482 800-634-0482 that's 800-634-0482
6: hi i'm john smoltz former major league baseball pitcher and current hall of famer I've had the pleasure of seeing so many great products come and go, but the Rope is the best I've ever seen. I promise you it's going to help the little leaguer, it's really going to help the big leaguer, and it's going to save those young arms from a lot of injuries.
7: The Rope Trainer allows a player to grip an actual baseball or softball while warming up. So check out theropetrainer.com and see why Hall of Famer John Smoltz swears by it. That's theropetrainer.com.
2: All right, thank you for that, and welcome back to the show, Rick Tiller, with you, coast to coast and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. Great to have you with us, wherever you are listening. Uh, it is our pleasure to start off the show with Washington Post columnist Alyssa Rosenberg, and she's here to help you build your children's uh, library, especially this time around the holidays. Alyssa, welcome to the show. You know, a lot of people might have a top ten, a top twenty-five. You're like, screw it. Here's ninety-nine books, right?
1: Well, and ninety-nine was like I had to rein myself in. Um, this was, a, you know, this list that you're talking about was a project where I worked with a bunch of other parents, and I was really mean and limited them all to a top three. I gave myself a top nine. I easily could have done a top two or three hundred on my own, but. You know how editors are. Sometimes they say you just have to stop somewhere. So 99 it was.
2: So you got 99 books and an ebook ain't one, huh?
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, especially with children's books, I think that, you know, yeah, you can put stuff on a Kindle for a kid, but there's nothing like the color of the illustrations and having the book in hand, right? I mean, I think there's just something so special about sitting there totally unplugged with a kid, letting them fall into the world in the pages.
2: Yeah, and at my age, we didn't have those things growing up. And I'm a voracious reader of nonfiction, and it just to me, walking into a bookstore and just smelling the the pulp—I mean, it just—it's. Uh, some people like coffee shops; I like bookstores.
1: I am the same way. All
2: right, let's talk about the list because, let's first, just for fun, what was the 100th book that didn't make it?
1: Oh man. Um, I would have to say it's Peter Spears Rain. This is a book that's actually it's out of print. It's hard to find, and it's why I cut it. But it's this beautiful book by this mid-century children's book illustrator. That's just two kids out for the day in the rain. They're you know they're running around with their dog. They're splashing in puddles, and just you know the level of detail in the illustration, um, this, the freedom that the kids have. I mean, especially you know given how sort of restricted and locked down kids are today the vision of a mother of a mom just like sending her kid out be like go play in the rain come back there'll be hot cocoa and cookies when you return but go have an adventure i just think it's amazing
2: you know it's interesting too in you know when, whenever a popular movie comes out for kids they'll make a video game out of it and it's usually garbage i have seen lately celebrities they all want to write children's books now uh, how have you found those <laughs>
1: Um, You know, I'm never going to complain. Dolly Parton, who uh, has given away hundreds of millions of books to kids, did a children's book adaptation of her song Code of Many Colors. That's beautiful, like totally charming illustrations. Um, But I think there is a sort of a misconception that writing books for children is easy, and it is not, right? I mean, getting, you know, you have fewer words to work with, so you have to be, your writing has to be really strong and tight, Uh, Not all children's books illustrators are created equal. So, you know, you have to find a really good illustrator. I actually think one of the best celebrity children's books um, is BJ Novak's The Book with No Pictures, which made the list. It is so funny because it's set up, it's sort of a joke on the reader, right? It's like the kid has picked something sophisticated, finally, a book with no pictures. But then the adult starts reading it and has to say all sorts of like silly, ridiculous things. I actually, my daughter doesn't know this yet, but for Christmas, she is getting the sequel, which uh, is my book with no pictures, where she gets to fill in the words herself. So she's going to get to make me sound absolutely ridiculous, and I am sure she's going to love it.
2: I love the Mad Lib uh, bent on that, but I hate to tell you, your daughter's a big fan of mine, and she's listening right now, so surprise room.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, she's four, and she's in nursery school. So, I, you know, if they are listening to you in nursery school, like, good on them, but... Maybe they're building a ham radio in the back. And
2: and also fire that teacher.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, her teachers are amazing. (laughs) Uh, I learn teachers everywhere if I think are underappreciated this time of year.
2: All right. Let's talk about a book that you love and you think is one of the best ever, and uh, Francis the Badger, that character you love, don't you?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Do you have kids? Um, I don't You know. Oh,
2: so many all over the world.
1: Okay. Well, so... The Frances the Badger books are amazing because they're about this little badger. She's probably like kindergarten age, um, and she's so smart, right? And I think we have a tendency to think of children as like there's so much stuff that they don't know. But Frances the Badger is this incredibly clever character who's like she's always getting into trouble. She's always outthinking her parents. Um, she's always you know getting herself and her sister in trouble. And my favorite of the books is A Bargain for Francis, uh, where she actually ends up running a scam on her best friend after her best friend scams her. So, you know, if you can't get enough of all of the, like, the scammer stories that are on Netflix and everywhere else, but you want a child-friendly version that's also about the virtue of friendship, uh, A Bargain for Francis is absolutely the way to go.
2: I also think it's cool that at the Washington Post, you know, you think about, you know, the. Watergate and all the, you know, Trump hates you, like all the things that you guys go through. It's nice to see some, like, whimsical, uh, sweet things like children's books being reviewed.
1: Well, I really appreciate that. I mean, my colleagues in the style section do an amazing job, but I think, um, in opinion, one of the things we're thinking about is, you know, people take, parenting is one of the most ex- important experiences you can have, and it's the, one of the most transformational experiences you can have. And, you know we take that seriously both into because parents are taking their job seriously so whether you know you're thinking about what to read or what to watch or if you're curious about how what going is going that what's going on in Washington affects you you know as a parent we're there for that as well
2: very well said tell me about oh were they ever happy
1: oh man this is another Peter Speer book um, it is a story about uh, three kids whose parents are out for the day, and the babysitter doesn't show up. And they know that their dad's been talking about painting the house, so they decide to be helpful and do it themselves. <laughs> again, it's one of those books that's like totally led by the illustrations, not that many words. Um, but it's also, again, like one of those great stories about kids being independent, you know, getting into mischief, but not actually into danger. Um, And it's, you know, I love stories where children get to be independent, um, and where they get to surprise their parents in some way, because look, as parents, we know that children do that all of the time.
2: Tell me too about two protagonists, Old Eleven and Evil (laughs) Murdoch.
1: Um, so Alice and Martin Provinson are, were again, amazing, a husband and wife team. And they did a whole series of books about, uh, their farm, Maple Hill Farm, and, um, Two of, the, two of the animals, the animals are sort of the characters in the book, right? So Old Eleven is this wise sheep who shows up in Our Animal Friends at Maple Hill Farm and some of the other books as well. And then Evil Murdoch is a cranky dander um, who, you know, he pinches everybody. He causes trouble. And you would think that this character is like my, you know, little kids would be scared of them. Absolutely my daughter's favorite. She just wants to talk about Evil Murdoch all of the time. <laughs> um, so really what better uh, what better friend could you have than a cranky goose?
2: And what's cool is that, you know, these names you hear as kids, that name Murdoch is going to be evil the rest of her life, right?
1: Of course, of course. <laughs> you know, could I add, there's one book that didn't make the list mm-hmm. that I've been thinking of for listeners of your show, mm-hmm. and that's Michael Shabin's Summerland, uh, which is an amazing book about baseball, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you've read, like, the Bart Giamatti, the Roger Angel stuff, but you're trying to convey to a kid why baseball is so important and distinct as a game, all packaged up in a book that's an incredible adventure for you know a kid who's old enough to be have a chapter book read to them to deal with something that's a little bit scary that you know but that's ultimately really warm and comforting. Um, I just think there there are lots of good kid books about sports, but there's nothing quite like what Shaven did in Summerland for that's about the connection between parents and children and the connection that grows through watching and playing sports together.
2: Yeah, I was just reading a little thing. New York Times called it, Bewilderingly Busy and the Novelization of an Animated Action Film. It's-
1: oh, completely wrong. Completely wrong. <laughs> I respect my colleagues at the time. But it is an incredibly sweet, you know, funny, strange, sort of weaving together of,
2: yeah. And I, I don't know, and, and I don't know if that review is pejorative. I, I mean, I it, it, it doesn't seem that way. Anyway, we're out of time. Alyssa Rosenberg, read her in the Washington Post and uh, all those great, great recommendations. Alyssa, we really appreciate it. Happy holidays to you.
1: Thank you so much. Happy reading, everyone.
2: All right. I'm Rick Tittle. We will come on back on Sports Byline.
4: You must be crazy. Use a D.O.G. And if you was my man, I would have been kicked you out of my house by now. This is what had happened.
2: All right. Thank you for that. And welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you. Nationally syndicated out of San Francisco and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. Always great every year when we get the sketch fest peeps in town. And uh, we have one uh, right now. And that's uh, Jesse Thorne. And Jesse is going to be bringing uh, with uh, February 4th at 7.30, Judge John Hodgman with John Hodgman and Jesse Thorne. And then the next day on Sunday at 8 o'clock, Jordan, Jesse, go, the podcast he does with Jordan Morris. Jesse, welcome to the show. I know you're a local guy. Uh, Your thoughts on the Carlos Correa collapse?
9: Holy cow, Rick. Just stunned, reeling. Uh, gobsmacked. I don't know. I've, I'm out of words to describe it. I mean, has anything like this ever happened in major league baseball? I mean, we're talking about like the closest is like, I don't know, first round draft picks. It is, it is unbelievable.
2: Carlos Correa collapsed. Pretty good alliteration there. I found out, um, <laughs> you grew up here, right? And then what was your upbringing like in the city?
9: Yeah, I'm from San Francisco. I, I grew up in the Mission District. Um, and, you know, it was... <laughs> let's just say uh, Mark Zuckerberg didn't live there then. <laughs> um, and uh, But I always loved it. You know, I feel lucky to have grown up somewhere that I really loved. You know, on, on Bullseye, my NPR show, I interview a lot of artists and creators. And one of the things I've noticed is how many people go into creative work because... They wanted to get away from their hometown, and they just knew all along they needed to go somewhere. And you know, I was lucky to grow up somewhere where I felt like I could follow my dreams, uh, and it was normal to do that.
2: Favorite burrito in the mission is where
9: uh, El Farolito. Um, mm. I usually go to the OMI, though. My dad lived in the Excelsior Mm. uh, after I I went away to college. And um, I I feel like when I'm out in the outer mission, uh, it has more of what was home to me than home does. My mom still is in the mission and I just feel like, I don't know, sometimes, sometimes when I'm in a taqueria, I feel like I am behind a bunch of dudes in Polish fleece vests who are ordering Vegetarian black bean burritos, and <laughs> it's a little overwhelming for me. Whereas out in the outer mission, it feels the same as it always did—just colder.
2: I was close. I was thought I thought you were going to go with Pancho Villa on 16th.
9: That's not a, you know. Until when I, I I lived as a kid at 15th and Guerrero, and uh, but my spot was always El Toro. Hmm. Um, so there you go. <laughs> now that well, we've it, listed taquerias, <laughs> an important San Francisco uh, rite of uh, rite of passage, is to just list as many taquerias as you can.
2: Well, the other thing is to people who are listening who don't know the city. When you say the Mission in Excelsior, that's not like saying Pack Heights and Park Presidio. You know, this is this was the nitty gritty real SF.
9: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm. It, it's funny because like I'm like a necktie guy that hosts a show for NPR. But, um, and you know, both my, both my parents had graduate degrees, but I, I did grow up lower middle class at best, uh, in the hood, but and there's bad things about that. You know, like I got jumped sometimes. I mean, there was no, <laughs> there was no question about me ever becoming a McDaniel. You know what I mean? That was a like gang in my neighborhood, but I get jumped. I get jumped once in a while and that was awful, you know, but, um, in general, I think it, it was a it was a really wonderful, vibrant, exciting place to grow up. Like I really loved it, you know. Um, and I feel very lucky that I I got to live there. You know, like I, I live in Los Angeles now, and I live in a neighborhood called Lincoln Heights. And in a lot of ways, you know, the reason I live in East L.A. now and not in Santa Monica by the beach or something like that is because I want to live somewhere where, you know, in the morning when I wake up, I hear someone walking down the sidewalk outside of my house saying, tamales, 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 you know? (laughs) Like, that's home to me. So, and I love it.
2: Well, you're talking to a guy who grew up in schools in Richmond, California, across the bridge and I'm about 15 years older than you, so in the 70s and 80s, yeah, um, a white kid would get jumped now and then. Uh, but, the diverse, yeah. the, but the diversity, you know, and just – I think when you grow up in a neighborhood like that, you really judge people for who they are. And it, and I'm not saying that we're all just void of any racism whatsoever, but when you grow up in a place that's mostly black and Latina, uh, Latino, Latinx, whatever – You you really just judge people on how they treat you instead of just these preconceived stereotypes.
9: Well, let me ask you this question about Richmond, real quick. Yeah. You 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 ever go to the House Rabbit Rescue Society in Richmond, California? I do
2: not know about that. No.
9: Okay, so uh, in Richmond, California, which as you said is you know Richmond's pretty real, like Richmond's even so pretty real now. Yep. Um, But uh, in Richmond, there's this house that's owned and operated by a a, a bunny rabbit rescue. And I know this because when I was still living in the Bay, my wife took me there for my birthday one time. And uh, (laughs) it's just a regular house, like a normal, normal house, except for it's full of bunny rabbits. (laughs) And you can like take them out and pet them because, you know, with, with rabbits, like they need a lot of handling and interaction with people in order to get Uh, uh, acclimated to being a pet basically uh, because they're so nervous and so they have all these rabbits and they take them out and they take them out on a regular schedule and like if you go visit they'll just hand you a rabbit to pet it is absolutely spectacular just one of the best places i've ever been
2: yeah i'm just looking that up down on uh 148 broadway outstanding didn't that no good good knowledge there you must be a bunny fan
9: Hey, who doesn't love bunny rabbits? Uh, I guess I guess that's probably your number one pet that definitely doesn't want to be a pet.
2: <laughs> yeah, they're a little bit squirmy, aren't they?
9: Yeah, they don't want it, but they're cute.
2: All right. Um, so before we let you go, let's talk about Saturday and Sunday, the fourth and the fifth of February. What do we got going on here at Sketchfest?
9: Well, I mean, I've been I've been performing at Sketchfest literally since. I think the second or third year and I have never missed a year since then. Mm-hmm. I used to do sketch comedy. I worked, worked for Sketchfest. Fest. Um, this year, you know, we're back after a pandemic delay. I'm really looking forward to it. We're doing Judge John Hodgman, which is sort of like uh, the, the I'm the co-host of the show. I'm the bailiff on the show and John is you know, he's well-known from having been on The Daily Show and here's the PC and the Mac versus PC commercials. And it's sort of like the people's court, if the people's court was a sweet, goofy comedy show. Mm-hmm. So we'll have real conflicts between real people, um, but sometimes very silly ones, but real, 100% real, and we'll adjudicate them in front of the audience. And also, I think... Um, So (laughs) he just throw that in at the end. (laughs) Yeah. Also, also, I think, but like a a classic Judge John Hodgman dispute is two brothers who bought a house together in Kansas to save money. And in Kansas, you can buy a house to save money. Uh, They bought this house for $35,000. Oh, wow. And there was a hole in the bathroom wall that led to the outside and bats were coming in and the dispute and the dispute was one brother wanted to patch the hole in the wall. So no bats would come into their house, which is a pretty reasonable position.
2: Yes.
7: The
9: other brother said, we bought this house to save money while we're in college. And so we can't spend $3,000 to patch a hole in the wall of our $30,000 house. Uh, just because some little bats are coming in. So his plan was they always keep the inside door of the bathroom closed. So it's sort of like an airlock on a spaceship. Uh, so if a bat comes in the hole, it can't come into the house. Uh, and then in the bathroom, they would always have a phone book in case a bat came in while you were using the bathroom.
2: <laughs> That's the anti-bat device, the phone book.
9: Yeah, and it was very sincere. Like, this was for real. This was not trumped up for the show. This was a real conflict between these two sweet
2: guys. Wow. That's the kind of... Yeah, no, I was going to say, I wish we had more time, but that's why people need to go see Jesse Thorne and John Hodgman and Jordan Morris Saturday the 4th at 7.30, Sunday the 5th at 8 o'clock. Hey, man, have a great time when you come home, and thanks for being on the show, Jesse.
9: So grateful to you for making the time. And, you know, there's not a bad show at Sketchfest, so I hope people will come out.
2: Alright, I agree with you. I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back on Sports Bylin. Oh, yeah.
1: The big stuff. Who do you think you are? It's the big stuff.
10: You're never gonna get my love.
7: Teams have four attempts to move the ball ten yards. So if you see a graphic on your screen that says first and ten, that means it's the team's first attempt to get ten yards.
4: be crazy. Use a D-O-G. And if you was my man, I would have been kicked you out of my house by now. This is what had happened.
2: Well, that's a lot. Welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you coast to coast and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. It's our pleasure now to welcome to the show filmmaker Nick Alfieri. He has written and directed a new movie called Unicorn Town, uh, which follows an underdog German football team from... Schwabish Hall. And, uh, Nick, uh, I've been to Schwabish Hall. It's a it's a beautiful place. I coached football in, in London for a while at the police department, so this this movie's right down my alley. How did it all come together?
13: Oh, wow. No way. That's crazy. What a small world that you've been to Schwabish Hall. Um, first of all, thanks for having me, Rick. Really appreciate it. Um, yeah, Unicorn Town came together in a sort of untraditional way, I guess. I was I had just graduated college at Georgetown. I played football there, and then I was at film school for my master's in Los Angeles, uh, USC. And a few months into that first semester of film school, I really started to miss being a football player. And right around that time, I got recruited by this team in Germany called the Unicorns, which I first thought was a joke. And then I did some research and learned it was a real Real team. Planned on going over there to play for one season and try to make a, a documentary about the, the team and the experience over there because uh, I'd never seen any piece of content on football in Europe. And I uh, went over there and it ended up being so much more than I thought it was. And I'm going now on, on year seven of living in Schreibisch Hall and being a part of this team.
2: So, Aber Neuer, uh, sprichst du Deutsch ein bisschen, yeah? ja?
13: Oh, dein Deutsch ist richtig cool. Das ist richtig cool.
2: Yeah, I have a family in Baden-Württemberg and Nordrhein-Westfalen-Auch, so that's why I've been to Schweb as well. Um, Wow,
13: oh, that's
2: awesome. (laughs) What a small world. Yeah, so I'm a little bit older than you, and I played D2 football in the 80s, and um, about 20 years ago I helped coach uh, the the Mets, the London Metropolitan uh, Police Department, the Bobbies. They had a team. Wow. And what's amazing, and I'm sure you found this as well, is that you know? I was a quarterback in high school, but I was a safety in college, but yet I was coaching the both lines. I was coaching the backers, the receivers, the tight ends, the running backs, that I I knew more. I was like a John Wooden to them, and they had such a thirst for knowledge because they just had never had any proper coaching. And and I shouldn't know more than everybody else, but I'm sure you experienced the same thing.
13: Yeah, that's one of the coolest things, I think, what you just said about the whole football world in – in Europe, not just Germany, but in the UK and all, all sorts of countries throughout Europe is uh, sort of how, how pure their love for the game is over there. And it's cool to see this, this sport that the, uh, the United States has developed and is now exporting to other countries, and people are finding it to be uh, such a fun part of their lives. And I don't know how it was for, for you in, in London, but well, I, I guess you just said these guys, many of them, are, they're not getting paid to play football. They're playing football in their free time after work, which is a really cool thing.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I kind of liken it to they don't have a gladiator sport. You know, the tough guys play soccer, which which I love, but in America that's not really considered a, a tough guy sport, right. and you know if you clock somebody with your form, you're going to get a red card and you're going to go a man down mm-hmm. and everyone's going to hate you and you're going to be suspended. So, the the glory of putting on, and you know what it feels like to strap it on and put on that helmet, you you feel kind of like a gladiator. So, for them, they just, I think a lot of these guys who love the glory, the violence, uh, just the, uh, the awesomeness of the best contact sport in the world, they just thirst for it.
13: Absolutely, yeah, and then and also the the team element of it. I mean, it's such a cool sport. Just actually on the field, you get the you get your aggressive nature out on the field, but then it's the ultimate team sport as well. And I, I think just the way that it's set up in Europe, these guys are uh, really excited to be getting the the team chemistry and camaraderie aspect of the amazing sport.
2: You know, I think it's interesting too when you put together a film like this and you think, you know, it. You know, maybe it's just for me. Maybe other people will like it. And then Rotten Tomatoes loves it. Gravitas Ventures picks it up. It goes on Amazon Prime. What's it like just blowing up? Yeah,
13: that's a, I mean, that's a really cool thing because you know when I started this, I was quite young. Pretty naive, actually, in, in the uh, whole world of filmmaking. And I just went over there with a camera and I said, you know, I'm making a documentary. And I just started documenting everything, interviewing my teammates and, and coaches and stuff like that. And it really just sort of evolved. Um, because I, I didn't know that I was falling into such a unique place. I mean, I think the world of American football in Europe, uh, as it is, is a cool, interesting thing. But then I fell into this extra special, unique town, Swedish Hall, where football is the main sport, a super rare thing in Europe. Um, and so just to see sort of the story develop, and it all happens so gradually, but now to see looking back on all these years of working on it and where the movie ended up and and how many people seem to be seeing it and enjoying it, it's a really cool thing and really rewarding. And, you know, I, I would have made it if I was the only one to see it because, you know, it's really a documentation of this amazing time that I was personally lucky enough to have there. Um so it it serves like the two purposes. It's cool. For it to be a, a piece of art that I made that goes out into the world, but also just to look back on that really special time. So it's kind of a combination there.
2: And you picked an amazing town. I mean, the Coker River and the, the Fachwerk and the half timbered houses. <laughs> I mean, even Germans themselves, they go to Schwebish Hall because it's so yes.
13: beautiful. Yeah. That, yeah, it's an amazing town. And it's really, it's like, I would sort of liken it to a, a small town, Texas high school football environment where it's a small town but everybody around the town knows about the team people go to the games on saturdays you see on game days people walking around and yeah just like you said it's a it is a gorgeous little spot when my coach who's from texas was first recruiting me to come out there he said i asked him about the town and he said uh yeah it's like you just got picked up and dropped into a fairy tale it really it really is (laughs) really cool
2: when i was coaching in london there were about three american guys there were two guys from chicago and another guy who just lived in london and they also you know they were a little bit long in the tooth but they wanted to play as well and, and i'm from oakland so they just called me coach oakland but there's a little sprinkle <laughs> little sprinkling of americans in there huh
13: yeah it's interesting it's really cool and just like you said you have some guys from different parts of the country so the so the europeans as well they'll get a little a uh, little taste of different American cultures, and what's cool is with the German league, we're allowed six Americans, and so there was a, a good group of us throughout uh, on this team. You know, we had guys from California, Oregon, Iowa, Texas. So the German guys are getting a little taste of different corners of the United States as well, and being teammates with with uh, guys from different places, which is a cool part of it.
2: When you sit back, and I'm sure you've seen this film dozens of times now, but what would be maybe three to five minutes your favorite part of the whole thing?
13: Oh, man, that's a great question. And, yeah, you're right. I have seen this film way too many times. Um, <laughs> I, I always, because I, always, I edited it as well, um, I would always still get goosebumps when I would uh, edit and work on the, the final game um, not to give away too many spoilers, but the, the, the final game in the movie and sort of how that plays out, uh, both because I think it's kind of cool cinematically, but then, of course, all of the, the personal relationships I have with the people. Um, for example, Tyler Rutenbeck, who, who has an injury and then comes back and, and makes a very crucial touchdown. Uh, this, is a, this is a cool part for me. But then another part that I really like is sort of comes around midway point of the movie, is when I start to realize that, Oh, you know what? I've kind of fallen in love with this place. Um, you know, I had the mindset coming in that this is just going to be a one year thing, go over there, get a cool little experience, uh, play football in Germany. And, you know, I, and it ends up not going how I thought it would. I get injured. I thought I'm going to get sent home. I really have to take a, a different look and a different perspective at this team and this experience. And there's a scene in there, uh, yeah, about halfway through the movie, um, where I've taken a, a good hard look at all the people and how I've been treated and this interesting situation that I found myself in. And it's a real, it's a real turning point for, for Nick, the character that you're watching in the movie, but also for um, Nick in real life uh, at the same time. So that's probably one of my, one of my favorite parts.
2: Very cool. And uh, how's Christian McCaffrey got involved with this? Yeah, so
13: I come from a big football family. We've got uh, five boys, one girl, and we're all in the football world. One of my brothers, Joey, played football at Stanford and was roommates and very good friends with Christian. Mm. And so I knew Christian for quite a while. And uh, he's, he's, you know, obviously we know what he does in the football field, but off the field, he's actually quite a creative, artistic guy. He uh, minored in film at Stanford. And so I knew when I was first starting this, um, that he was interested in filmmaking stuff. And so I said, hey, you want to be an executive producer on this? And I think we both didn't really know what that meant at the at the beginning. We just thought, oh, you know, that kind of sounds cool and, and fun that we're working on something together. But the thing really evolved to where, you know, we went to L.A. a couple times to take some meetings and help progress the movie. And, of course, he was uh, instrumental in a lot of our marketing stuff. But then what I think people will be surprised uh, to hear is he was – participating in the creative aspect as well. Of course, helping me give feedback on, on some of the football scenes and uh, giving some creative notes to help really tighten up some of the edits or make things play certain ways. And so he worked uh, on a, a couple different levels with the movie, and uh, he's been great.
2: Last question for you. You know, it's it's hard to um, be, you know, judgmental on guys that are so new to to football, but what was one of the more – I'll say cute things that you saw because I remember there was an encroachment and then another encroachment and they got out the sticks and measured. And I'm like, no, no, no. It's just five yards automatically. (laughs) You don't don't use the measurement for this. What was was one of those moments for you? (laughs) That's great.
13: That is a a funny experience. You know what what really would um, get me is sort of some of the newer guys. You know, we've got the way that we practice there, it's, you know, it can't be so full-time because you got a job. So we practice on Wednesday and Friday nights with games on Saturdays. And what was always funny to me, and you know, sometimes I had to snap a little bit at some of my teammates, is new guys who are really on a Friday night practice uh, the night before a game, going really hard and uh, you know, maybe hitting and tackling guys and trying to take guys to the ground when, of course, we shouldn't be doing that. I've got one great friend, Nico Bang, who would do that. Love the guy to death. Just an aggressive ball player. Uh, but that was, a, that was always a funny thing. But we eventually figured it out. But just kind of seeing some of those uh, interesting differences of, you know, growing up for 15 years playing football and knowing how it all, all goes down um, to guys who are just so excited to be playing football out on the field that, you know, I'm going full speed all the time because why wouldn't I? So that was kind of funny.
2: Yeah, first gotta get clotheslined in the walkthrough. That would be. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> everybody, put it. <laughs> everybody should check out Unicorn Town from Gravitas Ventures on Amazon Prime. We've been speaking to the director, the writer, the editor, Nick Alfieri. Nick, sounds like a great movie, man. Can't watch this. Can't wait to see it.
13: Thank you very much, Rick. Have a good day. Appreciate
2: right. it. I'm Rick Tittle. We'll take a quick break. We'll come on back on byline.
3: I'm the- I'm the- Listen land habe ich Treue geschworen,
12: bin geboren in der Pfalz. Ich liebe dich nun mal, jeden Berg, jedes Tag, Heimatland, du
3: mein schönes
11: Call today and ask about our buy one, get one free offer.
0: 800-761-9334. 800-761-9334. 800-761-9334. That's 800-761-9334. How would you like to get high-speed internet for your home for less than $2 a day?
4: Kittle ate 200 chicken wings at your mama's house last night. Now, back to Fat Boy.
2: Ah, it hurts my feelings. Um, some uh, sad news from the NFL. Franco Harris uh, has passed away. And um, the Raiders and the um, Steelers are going to be playing, I believe, Christmas Eve night on the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception. So the timing is... Uh, poignant, um, a guy who is in the uh, Hall of Fa- Excuse me, the Hall of Fame Steelers president Art Rooney said it is difficult to find the appropriate words to describe Franco Harris's impact on the Pittsburgh Steelers, his teammates, the city of Pittsburgh, and Steelers Nation. From his rookie season, which included the immaculate reception, through the next fifty years, Franco brought joy to people on and off the field. He never stopped giving back in so many ways. He touched so many. And he was loved by so many. Our thoughts and prayers are with his wife, Dana, his son, Doc, and his extended family at this difficult time. Roger Goodell says we are shocked and saddened to learn of the unexpected passing of Franco Harris. He meant so much to the Steelers as the Hall of Fame running back who formed the nucleus of the team's dynasty through the 70s. And a lot more people had things to say. As a kid, I hated Franco Harris. I hated the Steelers. They were the first team in my whole life that I just despised. Um, I used to make fun of him for running out of bounds, which was a uh, obviously didn't want the guy to die. You know, I remember I sat down with Rocky Blyer at the Super Bowl, um, and he was all hugs. He was super charming, and then you just kind of learn to leave these things behind. But Franco Harris seemed like a really nice guy, so I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, despite me hating him as a kid, uh, sorry to report that news. I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back. Got another two hours.
6: News. I'm Rich Johnson. What some are calling a once-in-a-generation winter storm is living up to that hype. The northern plains are feeling well below zero temperatures and big-time wind chills today. As for what's in store for the central plains, here's National Weather Service lead forecaster Bob So
9: We'll have a high temperature of 50 or so today and have a high temperature tomorrow. Five degrees below zero. The
6: storm is already impacting travel by land and air. Chicago, Dallas, New York, and Denver are among the airports already feeling the effects of flight delays and cancellations. Not canceled yet. The visit to Washington by Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky, his Oval Office meeting with President Biden, and address to a joint session of Congress tonight are still on. We're getting details of former President Trump's tax returns released by the House Ways and Means Committee. Trump paid more than a million dollars in taxes in 2018 and 2019, but paid zero in 2020. Looks like YouTube TV will be the new home of Sunday Ticket, the service that sells access to every NFL game on Sundays. The price tag, two and a half billion dollars per season. The celebration of the 50th anniversary of the so-called immaculate reception by the Pittsburgh Steelers this weekend won't be nearly as happy as fans had hoped.
0: Last chance for the Steelers. Batcha trying to get away, and his pass is broken up by Tatum,
12: Kipped off! Frank O'Harris has it!
6: NBC's Kurt Gowdy with a call of Frank O'Harris scooping up the ball and scoring giving Pittsburgh that win over the Raiders in 1972. Today we learn that Franco Harris died overnight. No word on the cause. He was 72. As part of this weekend's celebration, the Steelers are going to retire number 32, Harris's number. This is USA News. For
7: by
10: government.com.
7: Did you hear? A recent stash of $10 gold liberty coins from the 1800s has been found. These gorgeous gold coins are as bright and shiny as the day they were struck in the late 1800s. And less than 50 of these gold coins are available. Coin experts are calling this gold find an incredible opportunity. 1-888-201-7060 and you are guaranteed a $10 gold liberty coin minted by the u.s mint in the 1800s but with extremely limited availability you must call now these gold liberty coins from the 1800s are still in uncirculated condition that is history you can hold in your hand to learn more call 1-888-201-7060 call now and you'll receive a free american coin collector's bonus package a 40 dollar value free with every order call one 888 2017060 now to secure your $10 gold liberty coins dated from the 1800s before they sell out. That's 18882017060.
6: If you have a Chevy Bolt electric car, check the mail. Chevrolet's recalling about 140,000 Bolts because of a seatbelt issue that could cause a fire. Guilty. The verdict against former movie mogul Harvey Weinstein at his sexual assault trial in Los Angeles. But the jury deadlocked on the question of aggravating factors that would have influenced the sentence Weinstein will receive. This is juror Arnold Escuela.
8: We agreed that uh, Mr. Weinstein does have issues, uh, but none of us thought he was innocent. Uh, I think we thought he was fairly guilty in most of the stuff, but it wasn't proven.
6: Escuela says the big factor for he and fellow jurors was how long it's been since the alleged crimes took place. Weinstein's already serving a long sentence for a conviction in New York, and he still faces a similar trial in London. Somebody playing poker last weekend in Atlantic City is having a very nice holiday. The player hit a royal flush at the progressive poker table. The $5 bet turned into a $1.6 million jackpot. According to Harris, Mike Zippel,
11: that's the highest amount that Caesar's
6: Entertainment has given in New Jersey. The dealer who passed out the royal flesh also got a bit of love. He said, "Thank you for dealer. That's your money." I said, "So much. You are the nice person." Dealer Devin Thoppa got a nice tip, a very nice tip, seventy-seven grand. Rich Johnson, USA News.
10: Business staples has your sign. Banners for my bakery. Staples has your sign.
4: Oh, posters for my new pet store.
10: Floor decals for a pharmacy. Every day, Staples associates help every kind of small business create bold signs to make big impressions. And now get ten dollars off custom signs, banners, and posters when you spend fifty dollars or more. This is your sign, so print it big at Staples. Ends ten one. Visit staplesconnect.com/slash this is your sign for details.
0: That's 800-298-9093
1: Rick
11: Tittle knows his sports
1: I hate that guy I love that guy Oh my gosh, he's so fine Rick Tittle brings home the bacon Fries it up in a pan And then he eats it Ricky T in the hizzle for shizzle biznatch
2: Thank you for that, and welcome back to the show. And I would have led off with this, but I've had guests throughout, and I will have a guest coming up here. Ronald K. Freed has written a, uh, a novel called Frank Costello. But after that, I'm going to get into the Carlos Correa shock. He is not a giant. And this is the thing. I was on vacation for more than a week it was a working vacation for the first part, and then it was just a vacay in New York City. But I uh, did my show from Army-Navy Radio Row in Philadelphia. But I'm not really paying attention <clears throat> to any news. And you hear these things like Verlander's a Met, and uh, Judge is staying with the Yankees. No surprise there. But that Carlos Correa is a giant. And for Aaron Judge money... And he was going to be a giant until he was 41 years old, and so I, you know, texted my cousin who's just obsessed with the Giants, and you know he was over the moon for that, and and I I said well, I'll tell you what about Carlos Correa he is a <laughs> he is a great player there's no doubt about that. Sorry, I'm in the back studio with Dominic and I'm just dropping things on the floor because it's just a wonky setup. But, yeah, we'll get into the ins and outs and what that means for the uh, Giants, who have fantastically whiffed on free agents since they've moved into that. I mean, the last big free agent they signed was Barry Bonds, and that was Candlestick. I mean, they've had some okay signings, but that sort of monumental one has eluded them. And, And apparently it was the Giants' decision. You know, they looked at them and... We'll see what it is. We'll see who's trying to uh, save face. But we've seen these 11th hour switches as well. <coughs> Josh McDaniels. <coughs> yes, I will be head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. All right. The press conference is tomorrow. I'm going to lock myself in my house in Boston. Does that mean you're not coming? Kind of. Yeah. All right. play Third hour, we will have uh, Dave Hill.
10: Hilariously funny. Come on back.
5: I'm getting vaccinated with Prevnar 20. So am I, because I'm at risk for pneumococcal
4: pneumonia. I'm asking about Prevnar 20 because there's a chance pneumococcal pneumonia could put me in the hospital. Age 65 or older, you may be at increased risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. For additional common side effects and full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. I want to be able to keep my plans.
6: So I'm asking my doctor about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20.
10: dancing crew trip for two nailed the final interview game with Doug brand new mug come here kid (laughs) give me a hug the more you want to do, the more we want to do new COVID-19 boosters designed for recent Omicron variants are now available learn about eligibility and schedule a free updated booster today at vaccines.gov sponsored by Pfizer and BioNTech
2: All right. Thank you for that. And welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you coast to coast and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. It's our pleasure to welcome to the show author Ronald K. Freed. He has a new paperback from Excelsior Publishing called Frank Costello, a novel. And Ronald, welcome to the show, Uh, a novel. Tell us the... uh, the, the gist behind this uh, the project. How did this all get off the the uh, off the ground?
14: Well, I was uh, working working as a writer and producer on uh, ABC, AMC, a AMC series about the history of organized crime in America. It was called The Making of the Mob, New York. And I ran into the story of this guy Frank Costello, who was basically the acting head of the Genovese crime family in the late 40s and the 1950s, he was, he was like the most powerful man in the American mafia and he had an incredible amount of political power. In New York, he could like pick judges. He was friends with congressmen, with the head of Tammany Hall. In fact, he was sort of the acting head of Tammany Hall, but he was the head of the Trinity's crime family. So um, long in 1950. One comes the keyfover, uh hearings on organized crime in America. J. Edgar Hoover finally decided, had to acknowledge that there was this thing called the mafia. So these are the first major congressional hearings that are on this brand new medium TV that no one ever understood. So all the other gangsters, they just took the fifth. But Costello, because he was so politically connected, he thought, I can talk to these guys. I can talk to these senators. I'll answer their questions. And of course, he couldn't because... After a little research, I found out that he had lied his entire life. He lied uh, when he got arrested, when he was a kid. He lied on his naturalization papers, et cetera, et cetera. He lied on his marriage certificate when he got married. And all of those lies were revealed on live TV. And Frank Costello was humiliated in public in a way that he never could have understood would have happened to him because no one knew how powerful television was going to be. So I thought, wow, this is a great story. Uh, why did he do that? Why did he not just take the fifth like everybody else? And I thought I'd write a novel to try to figure out why he did that. I thought it was a great
2: story. So this is really more of a historical novel then?
14: Yes, it's a historical novel. And all the things that Frank Costello says uh, in, the, in public, in Congress, in court, et cetera. Et cetera. It's all taken from the public record. The nest, the, like what he was thinking, what he said to his friends, what he said to his wife, uh, that's stuff that I invented.
2: I remember in high school, I had a, a you know, going up, going to Catholic school, a lot of Italian friends, and there was this old guy, his noni, his grandfather, and he's like, Yeah, I remember one time, Joey Bananas. I'm like, Ah, I covered my ears. I'm like, I don't want to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, yeah. just just tell people you don't know nothing. I'm like, I-, I want that to be true. So when you're talking to real mobsters, when you're researching this book, was it a little bit yes. touch and go for you?
14: Well, you know, I've interviewed a number of mobsters um, for in, in my job as a TV producer, and I interviewed this one guy. In, I was in Las Vegas, and he had killed nine people. But well, so why is this guy walking around? he's walking around because he had ratted out someone who had killed more people who the feds wanted even more and let me tell you he was the worst human being I've ever met in my life and I just couldn't stand being in the same room with this guy and um, actually it's a funny story um, I have a friend who's Mike Tyson the lawyer and he called me up and he said how long are you working I said two hours I have to interview this guy for two hours. He said, Well, if you just interview him for an hour, we can have dinner with Mike Tyson. And I had written a book about boxing history and I knew that Mike Tyson had read the book. So I said, Don't worry, I'm just gonna interview this guy for an hour and I went and I had dinner with Mike Tyson instead. So um <laughs> it was a lot more, it was a lot more fun than talking to this guy who was just like he was like loathsome. Yeah. He just a yeah, horrible person. Yeah, yeah.
2: Cool. You know, um, just to toot my own horn, one of my, uh, and I've been doing this show some 20 years, I've been in broadcasting over 30 years, one of the best yeah. best compliments I've ever had, I've had him on my show twice, is when, when Dick Cavett complimented me and told me I was good. Uh, and I know he's your guy, right?
14: Yeah, no, Cavett's my guy. I started working for him uh, when I got out of high school in 19, in college rather, in 1980. And I, I you know, I, I always say I never want to work in TV. I wanted to work for the Dick Cavett show. And um, you know, I got to do it. And yeah, he's he's a really one. He's very funny. Uh, He's very witty. He's 86 years old. I actually interviewed him uh, earlier this week because um, I'm going to write an article about him for the Daily Beast because he uh, he has a special coming up on PBS about he and Groucho Marx. Mm. So uh, yeah,
2: yeah, he. I was in Manhattan last week, and I was thinking about him because I asked him about how things has changed, you know. and he was talking about walking through Chinatown with Marlon Brando, and he punched a photographer yes. and broke his jaw and all these stories, and he said the thing yes. – he says in Manhattan, you can't get anywhere now. That's what he said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so whenever I saw traffic, <laughs> I thought a dick. All right. Back to, you know, as I said, your affinity whilst having an aversion for the mob – um, yeah. You know, the the Godfather, the tone, everything is, you know, the people sort of just accept it as one of the greatest films of all time. Not so much mm-hmm. with you?
14: Well, I wouldn't say it wasn't a great film. It's a great film. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the greatest ensemble cast ever, probably, yeah. We could think of all the good, James Conner, all the people who are Pacino, et cetera, who was, and Brando, of course, who was just so fantastically good in that film. But, you know, Um, that's not what it's like. And you know, you, you watch that movie and you think, this is great. I'd love to be a part of this family. Right. Because they take care of you. Right. But like, where does all the money come from? You know, you don't really see that in the Godfather, do you? You know, it's, I know where it comes from. It comes from gambling, prostitution, drugs, loan sharking, you know, all these really horrible things, but you never see any of the Corleones taking part in those activities, right? All they sort of do is they just war with another family and, you know, and that one part, it's like they play tag. You know, the fam- one family attacks them and then they attack the other family and everybody sort of gets it in The Godfather. They sort of deserve it by, like, the, the thinking within The Godfather, right? So there's the guy who abuses... Um, Don Carleone's daughter, so James Conn beats him up, and you think, well, he deserves it. Abe Vakoda betrays the family, and he sort of understands. He says, you know, uh, tell Michael you know, nothing personal. It's only business. But that's not who they killed. That's not who they beat up. They beat up like some guy who owes them money. They destroyed lives by selling them heroin. You know, that's the business that they were in. And it's never really explicitly seen in The Godfather. Yeah. That said, it's sort of a wonderful fairy tale, and it's a fairy tale about family and about making it in America. Um, and then the thing about Frank Costello that struck me was you, you think of these people as being masters. That's one of the things that makes uh, 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 gangsters so appealing. You know, They live outside the law, right? And they're sort of like inverted superheroes, right? But Frank Costello... He was a naive immigrant. He didn't really understand who held the real power in America. And I know who held the real power, and he he was taught who did it. It was the federal government. It was those pretentious senators who humiliated him in public. And to me, that's sort of a different way of seeing uh, the story of the mafia it's a, it, in in Frank Costello's case it was a story of a naive immigrant and i thought that that's not how people think about the mob but in that particular case and i um i think that's true and i found Costello's story poignant um, last you qu- know, you mm-hmm. yeah
2: sorry. sorry last question for you before we go to the break in your mind right. donnie brasco and goodfellas either of those come close for you
14: I think Donnie Brasco is a really good film. Pacino's brilliant in it mm-hmm. and that shows you the low end of what it's really like to be at the bottom of the, of of the mobsters thing. And once again, he's the naive person, right? He is he is ruled by this sort of brilliant agent who impersonates a mobster that's a great film goodfellas is a fantastically successful film right people only remember the beginning of that film and and, you know you watch the first half of that movie you said this is great where do i sign up i want to be a mobster because you can (laughs) go into a copacabana and get a good seat but the whole second half of the film its whole life falls apart Mm -hmm. um you know, so, uh, but I mean, listen, the movies you just talked about—they're fantastically good. There's a reason that they're classics. They're 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 fun to watch, and they're dramatic, and you know, the performers are brilliant. I mean, my God, De Niro and is, oh my God, he's so good in that movie.
2: Yeah, no, great stuff. The book is called Frank Costello: A Novel by seasoned writer our guest Ronald K. Freed. You can go to ronaldkfried.com dot com, and this is available from Excelsior an uh, imprint uh, from uh, SUNY. Hey, uh, Ronald, congratulations on the book, and thanks for coming by. Hey, thanks. It was a lot of fun to talk to you. I really appreciate it. All right. I'm Rick Tittle. We'll talk a little bit about Carlos Correa. Come on back.
0: ask about spirit's vision plan here's the number 800-634-0482 800-634-0482 that's 800-634-0482
4: tittle always goes commando. All right. Thank you
2: for that. And um, we are free and clear the extra uh, the rest of the hour, I should say, for your calls, if you would uh, like to chime in. We would love to uh, hear from you. Um, A lot of times in sports you think you got a guy or a girl locked down for your team and then it doesn't uh, work out that way. And um, the Giants many days ago uh, announced a contract to sign the shortstop from the Twins, uh, Carlos Correa. Dominic, did you get that thing I just oh. sent you? The <laughs> the Giants, the Giants Twitter sent out holiday packs, three game packs starting at twenty four dollars each, and it's Carlos Correa photoshopped in a Giants uniform with Christmas lights around his neck. Yeah, it ain't gonna happen. <clears throat> no, he is now Carlos Correa is a New York Met. 12 years, $315 million. and now he is a third baseman despite being a platinum, not just gold, but a platinum gold glove shortstop. Now, that happened once before when A-Rod, who was the gold glove shortstop, went to New York, and Derek Jeter never had a gold glove, but you were not going to supplant Derek Jeter as the uh, shortstop in New York, so we know that A-Rod played third base Uh, Francisco Lindor is the shortstop, and apparently Correa and Lindor are very, very good friends. And in the World Baseball Classic, Lindor was the shortstop for Puerto Rico, and Correa was the third baseman. Professionally, Correa played one game at third base when he was with the Astros AAA. I remember watching the draft when Carlos Correa was the number one overall pick. They showed him in Puerto Rico, And his dad had built a batting cage in their backyard. And they're like, is this the guy? And then they're like, there was... uh, I forgot who the other kid was. But like, is this the guy? And they're like, we're going to go with Carlos Correa. Remember, Carlos Correa was the most vocal um, when it came to people uh, talking about garbage can gate or whatever you wanted to call it with uh, the Astros. And he was vehemently uh, defending his teammates. And he basically told everybody, all your mamas, kiss my behind. And then going... (laughs) <laughs> to the twins which was kind of surprising kind of a a show me contract but the the deal for the mets you know we we've heard about teams like the a's have never had a 100 million dollar payroll do you know what the payroll is for the mets next year 800 no 450 388 388 but you are right when it comes to Competitive balance tax penalties, 115 million. So that's going to take it over 500 million. <laughs> 5037. <clears throat> Once again, 503 million point .7. The point .7 is 700,000 dollars. And this is the great thing about the owner there, Cohen, he doesn't care. There's one other guy like that. He's in the NBA and he's right here in this town named Joe Lacob, who basically doubles his um, salary and payroll with the competitive balance tax or the luxury tax penalties. But the string of events after the Giants agreed to 13 years, 350, they delayed his introductory press conference, which was supposed to be yesterday. And there was a medical concern that came to light, which no one knows what it is right now. Now, Correa's contract would have been the fourth largest in the history of baseball. Now he's only the 10th largest in the history of baseball. Mike Trout is the only guy over 400 at 426. Remember, Mookie Betts' contract is more than Aaron Judge, 365. Aaron Judge, 360. Lindor, 341. Tatis, 340. Will he play the whole year? Bryce Harper, 330. Giancarlo Stanton, 325. Corey Seager with the Rangers got 325. Garrett Cole with the Yankees, 324. and Now Correa at 315. The only other $300 million players are Manny Machado and Trey Turner, who just signed his with the uh, the Phillies. And so these... High-dollar free agent packs, of course, they're always pending a physical like anything else, and if something does arise, usually they renegotiate the the deal, but you can scrap it uh, as well. And J.D. Martinez had a five-year contract with the uh, Red Sox that got scrapped, and then he had to come back. Remember, Brady Aiken was the number one overall pick by the Houston Astros, and then they decided they didn't want him after they saw the physical. You know, it was... um, Tex and Gil Brandt putting together the combine. Basically, why don't we have all the NFL players come in and get looked at by the same doctors and we'll all get the same report. Now, when you're going to draft a guy, you can send him to your doctors as well. But it used to be you drafted a guy and it's like, oh, yeah, in Houston and Dallas, they already knew that guy's knee was damaged. And like well, We didn't. But Correa has dealt with a lot of health issues in his career. He's had back and neck problems. And this past season, he missed time with a finger injury being hit by a pitch. That could have happened to anybody. And COVID, that could have happened to anybody. So we don't know what the deal is about the Giants. They very well could have gotten cold feet as well and just said, our doctors found something. What is it? We don't have to tell you. And that could be it. That could have been it uh, completely. Um but um if you want to get into the nitty-gritty of um and I usually don't but I will here for a second of metrics they said that the giants with korea would win 93 games now they're saying they'll win 89 so it's four games <laughs> it's four games less it's such a weird thing but look korea is as i mentioned he's a fantastic player he really is last year he hit 291 with 22 home runs. He's a career 279 hitter. He's played great defense, as I said, uh, through his age 27 season. Um, his career has put him on a Hall of Fame track if he can keep it up. He'll turn 28 in September. And he uh, basically <clears throat> signed what amounted to be a one year contract. With the Twins, it was 2 for 70 with an opt out, so he got his 35 mil and he opted out. Now, the Mets won 101 games last year, which was identical to the Atlanta Braves, but the Braves won the season series 10 to 9 and held the tiebreaker. That meant the Mets had to play in the Wild Card series, and what happened? they lost to Bob Melvin and the Padres in three games in the Wild Card series. So what does this mean now for the Mets? Now Steve Cohen, the owner, said we needed one more thing and this is it. This was important. This put us over the top. This is a good team. I hope it's a good team. Well, yes, the lineup is upgraded. Here's the Mets now. Brandon Nimmo, who just broke the bank, coming back as well. He's going to lead off in center. Carlos Correa will hit second at third. Lindor at short, hitting third. Uh, Pete Alonzo, who they're going to have to pay very soon, will clean up. Jeff McNeil at second. Starling Marte, who I love, is batting sixth. Maybe the best sixth hitter (laughs) in the National League in right field. You got Pudgy Vogelbach at DH. Mark Canna in left will hit eighth. And then Nomar... Nervaez is, I guess, the uh, catcher. But Correa replaces Eduardo Escobar, who, unless he—maybe he'll platoon at DH. He is a switch hitter, but he just got signed to a lot of money. But this means James McCann is on the move, and that was going to happen whether they signed Correa or not. Um, The prospect—top prospect, Francisco Alvarez. Remember when he got dealt? um, This is one of the top catching prospects in uh, baseball— but they'll probably keep adding to the bullpen. Remember, they kept uh, Edwin Nunez very close, uh, a very uh, soon after the season. He is the closer. Brooks Raley and Adam Adovino are your setup guys. Zach Green, David Peterson, David Robertson, Drew Smith in the middle. Um, and then you got some, I mean, Eliezer Hernandez is probably your long guy, but depth: Tommy Hunter, Tyler McGill, Bryce Montes to Oka, Steven Nogasek, Stephen Ridings. They lost tra- Taylor May. Uh, Taylor May's to the A's, uh, actually. But uh, Beatty and Escobar are probably trade candidates uh, at this point. But, look, they brought in Justin Verlander. They brought in uh, Kodai Senga. They kept Nimmo. Uh, this team, if you're a Mets fan, you got to be over the moon. And now to steal a player that good, whos you already have a guy so good at short, he won't even play short. That's how good the Mets are right now. I'm right, we'll come on back on Byline.
0: 800-754-4531. That's 800-943-2153. You're
5: so ugly you could be a modern art
2: masterpiece. 33%
4: Thirty-three percent sure Rick Tittle is the father of my child, but I'm one hundred percent sure Rick Tittle is a jackass.
2: That uh, hurts my feelings. The uh, can you tell I'm really crying right now. The uh, and by the way, segments open, so come on in and get heard. One eight hundred eight seven eight play one 7529 The memes that take over when, excuse me, when um stuff like this happens, you know, like. Brandon Crawford has Carlos Cray in a wheelchair and he's like, thanks, B. Craw. And then he pushes him over a cliff. And, uh, there's, um, (laughs) it's, uh, it's pretty interesting, uh, to see what it is. My, um, another one of my cousins who's was an A's fan and switched to the Giants, which is so fake. Um, at least he did, he did it. Well, the Giants were still a candlestick, so it's not like super fake. He didn't wait till they started winning World Series. He just wrote to me in a text that contract was dumb. Giants dodged a bullet. Let's see if some of their young kids in AAA or Double A can rise up and then contribute. Marco Luciano would have had to change positions if Correa was here. Yeah, who cares? You know, it's like it's like if I got Mike Trout and be like, oh no, now. Loriano has to play left. (laughs) You get Mike Trout. So I don't really (laughs) understand that. But the thing to remember about the CBT, first of all, the Mets went past the competitive balance tax last year, which is, of course, a soft salary cap. And they had the highest payroll in baseball last year. And um, with the penalties at $376 million. But now it's going to hurt even more because they're doing it a second year in a row. And so if you're between 233 and 253, it's 30%. And then it goes to 42%, 75%. If you are over $293 million, then it's 90%. Well, the Mets were well over the 293 when they signed Robertson. So his $10 million contract comes with a $9 million tax fee, which makes it a $19 million outlay for just a regular setup guy. Now, And Cohen didn't blink. <clears throat> he didn't blink. This is a dream owner. The Mets have a dream owner. They have a, a Steinbrenner who's not as meddling. So, <laughs> Maybe we'll call it the Cohen tax, but he doesn't care. And so the 380 million estimated payroll would come with the tax bill over 110 million. And so we talked about the 503. Cohen hasn't blinked then either and they're not even done. <clears throat> they resigned Adam Autovino yesterday and they could trim a little bit of payroll. They owed Darren Ruff Three million dollars. I didn't even know he was on the team. Uh, I mentioned Jay McCann, uh, James McCann, little over twelve million. Um, Eduardo Escobar, who they don't need anymore, nine and a half million. But Cohen believes, I guess, once you're over the tax, then there's no reason to hold back. Now, remember, the Red Sox exceeded two hundred thirty million by less um, <clears throat> than five million. And what did they get out of it? That was the whole thing when they dumped Mookie Betts and David Price. They're like, we don't want to pay these luxury tax I mean, it's just a good way of saying we don't want to do that. Well, here's the thing. Because they, the Red Sox went over the CBT, they only get a fourth-round pick for losing Xander Bogarts. Had they send, uh, stayed under, they would have got a sandwich pick, which is right after the first round. Not every owner can do what Cohen is doing right i mean the padres for example can spend more on payroll than they currently do but they say they won't go over <clears throat> a penny over 266 i just wonder these lines in the sand um and i remember lou wolf did that one time with the a's like 15 years ago he said i'm going to allow you to add 5 million to payroll oh how magnanimous you're going to allow that um Mike uh, Elias, the general manager in Baltimore at the winter meetings, said something that would probably make your outright blood boil if you were an Orioles fan. This is what he said, quote, We're in a little bit of a unique juncture where we're at in our curve where we have all this internal talent. It's young. We've got it under control. You do a long-term deal with pitching. The first year of it is likely to be the best year of that contract. So we got to think about that, and I got to think this team's going to continually to get better the next several years. So we've got a little bit of a curve going on on that we have to navigate this year. Now that doesn't sound like much, but what it says is we're not buying any free agents. We've got all these great picks coming through. Um, Adley Rushman, they just uh, drafted Matt Holliday's son. Who's the kid, the blonde surfer kid that came on the scene with the Orioles late, Gunner? Gunnar Henderson, thank you. I mean, that kid looks fantastic. So they're right. <clears throat> They've got a lot of talent. But what you do is you say, okay, now we add a couple of vets, and they don't have to be Carlos Correa vets, but a couple of savvy vets. Maybe we can do something here. Like, a, you know, I remember in the Red Sox, to get Josh Beckett, they had to take Mike Lowell and his fat contract from the fish, and they're like, all right, we'll do it. And then Mike Lowell was the World Series MVP, just guys like that. That can help, but the Orioles have been rebounding for years and years. They improved by 31 wins last year. And that's how you reward your fans by saying you need to navigate the upward curve. There are six postseason spots in each league. Do they know in Baltimore that the Phillies won the pennant as the sixth seed? I I don't know. And, uh, you know, Gunnar Henderson, Adley Rushman, um, also Grayson Rodriguez. It'll never be cheaper than it is right now. It's never a better time to spend. And you can spend without damaging your future. You can really do that right now. But, uh, you know, it's just a matter of when you see your window. But here's the thing. Every year is a World Series window for Cohen because he's going to spend himself into a window. And yes... Jacob DeGrom is gone. Chris Bassett is gone. But they bring in Verlander and Jose Quintana and Adam Anovino for Robertson. So a big payroll automatically doesn't equal big wins. Just look in Anaheim. I mean, if it did, you think about all the money that the Tigers spent and they didn't win a World Series. I mean, it just, but what it does is it gives you more of a chance than not. And one of the things that drives me crazy about my fellow A's fans is that when the A's would win the division and they'd say, ha, 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 we won the division with this much money. I'm like, you got lucky. You bought a Yugo that outlasted the Porsche. Do people remember Yugos? Do you know what a Yugo is, Dominic? No. There was a car in the 80s called a Yugo. It was made in Yugoslavia. It was a piece of garbage. Yeah. But they tried to sell it in America, and apparently you'd drive five feet and it would fall apart. So, uh, But it's kind of funny, Yugo. By the way, the Chevy Nova in South America, they had to change the name because Nova means it doesn't go. <laughs> uh, I think it's funny that the Citron, which means lemon in France, they're so bad that we just call anything bad a lemon now. It's like, and they still call themselves that. It's like, you know, what kind of car do you have? I drive a POS. Yeah, I'm really uh, happy about it. <clears throat> but Cohen. Has anybody spent more aggressively? I haven't seen it. And as I said, it's a throwback to George Steinbrenner, and you know maybe a little bit of Mike Ilitch, as I said, Mister I. And this is a time when so many teams are just very content to just sit back, and you know these players are free, you draft them every year. So now, where do the Giants go? You know, we remember all these great free agents. I said they haven't signed anybody since Barry Bonds, and Dominic said, "Well, they signed Barry Zito." I said, well, that was true. Barry Zito's top offer was seventy-five million with the Mets to be reunited with Rick Peterson, and he decided to go one twenty-six in San Francisco. And he said, "Put me in the locker next to Barry." Next to Barry lockers, Barry Bonds had two lockers. Everybody else had one. Just to remind you of his uh, importance. But um, the the Giants over the years, I mean, I just remember uh, player after player they would court with, they would court with, and it just it never never happened. Now they don't really care; they've won three World Series. But the Giants have signed Mitch Haniger, who's from the Bay Area. Who, as an Ace fan, he always hit us. He's a useful player. I'm telling you right now, and I was just telling Dom here, Sean Manaya is no roadmap to success. He will pitch a month at a sub-3 ERA, and then he'll pitch a month over five. He is the epitome of a 500 pitcher. Great guy. Big strapping lefty. Probably would have been the number one overall pick out of Indiana State if he hadn't been hurt. Uh, the A's flipped Ben Zobris for him, the top pitching prospect of the Royals, which they said thank you. Now we'll go win a World Series with Zobris, which they did. Um, Ross Stripling, who I remember had a uh, no hitter going at AT and T when he got pulled by Dave Roberts as a rookie, and I remember arguing with Sean Estes about that. I'm like, leave the kid in. No, you don't leave him in. You protect his arm. I'm like, come on, wait till he walks somebody. <laughs> Just got a perfect game going. whatever It was, but the uh, what the Giants wanted is they wanted a new face for the franchise, and you might say Brandon Crawford is the new face. What was the face of the franchise? But it was Buster Posey, and now it's kind of nobody. And they should have traded Bumgarner when they had a chance to cash in on him. They should have traded Carlos Radon, who was going to walk. Um, and I know why they held on to Baumgartner, because it was Bruce Bochy's last year, and they had the best June in the history of the Giants, but it was all smoke and mirrors, which most people would have thought. But there are still some quality guys out there, not amazing I read a list where it said the best shortstop out there right now is Elvis Andrews. You do not trust me as an Ace fan who had to sit through that. Good guy, but no. Gene Segura can rake. I mean, he'd be a nice little piece to have. Michael Conforto is still out there, but you're going to have to overpay for all these guys now. Corey Kluber, who was so good with Cleveland, there's a reason why he doesn't have a team. Nathan Avaldi is another guy who's out there. And so the Giants now could try to put something together to trade for a Rafael Devers. I mean, it's going to have to be something where they they might trade now. Um, but next year's free agent class is Shoei Otani, and he's going to be the guy. And he's sick of losing. And if he looks at San Francisco, who's the, at best, third-best team in the division, why would he want to come here? I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back on Sports SportsBot.
11: Call today and ask about our buy one, get one free offer.
0: 800-761-9334. 800-761-9334. 800-761-9334. That's 800-761-9334.
4: Has someone in your family lost a job recently and now you can't afford your mortgage payment? Or do you have a rental property and your tenants aren't paying you? sell a home you can't afford or just don't want to get the cash you need today
0: 800-788-1495 800-788-1495 800-788-1495 that's 800-788-1495 do you have an invention idea but don't know what to do next call InventHelp now for free
5: information on how to get started today InventHelp provides invention services that help everyday inventors get started with their idea. We have representatives nationwide who will explain the InventHelp process step by step. Over 10,000 patents have been secured through InventHelp's patent referral services. Our services include professional materials needed to showcase your invention, and 3D animation and prototype modeling that help you demonstrate your idea. Get down to the details of your idea with a technical drawing the InventHelp data bank includes thousands of companies who have agreed to review new ideas. We've been helping inventors since 1984. Let's help you next. Take advantage of the opportunity to get started today. Call 1-800-356-7308. That's 1-800-356-7308. Again, 1-800-356-7308.
3: You can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious.
4: Rick Tittle is a majestic stallion.
2: All right. Thank you for that. And um, when it comes to the files of stupid criminals, (laughs) this one's pretty good. Uh, Apparently, there was a Chiefs fan, Kansas City Chiefs, who robbed banks to fund his trips to away games, and he wore a wolf mask. Now, the thing you have to know about the Chiefs is they do not – even though they still have the name, which I'm sure a lot of people consider offensive – They don't have a Chiefs mascot. They have a wolf. So anyway, this guy wore a wolf mask committing bank robberies, and then he wore the exact same wolf mask to the Chiefs games. In fact, an entire wolf outfit, and he held a big flag that says, Chiefs fan for life, Chiefs a holic. And uh, so he was pretty easy to catch because he was wearing the exact same. And I always like those stories because I have no sympathy for stupid criminals. It reminds me, one of my favorite ones uh, was um, when uh, a guy went to a convenience store and he bought some beer, and uh, then he came back five minutes later and robbed the place, and they remembered his name because he showed his ID when he had to buy the beer. (laughs) That one's one's pretty good as well, but now I could say see Chiefs fans are stupid, but I'm a Raider fan. And I say with great love to my former Raider uh, family and friends and fellow fans, I don't think there's any more stupid fans in the world. Uh, Now, Dominic said, no, Niner fans are more stupid. I think we all have our own self-deprecating hate. (laughs) But there used to be a guy at the Coliseum that whenever the Raiders got a first down, this guy was probably the loneliest person in the world, like seriously, like epically, clinically, horribly lonely. Whenever the Raiders got a first down, he unfolded a sign and he ran down in front of everybody and he put up the sign that said, on three, first down, one, two, three. And then he would first down and he would point and he would pump his fist in the air. Whenever the Raiders would get a first down, he would run down from his seat and do it again. And I just thought, what would Freud do with this guy? I mean, there's something deep, deep, deep going on here. Uh, but uh, bless their hearts. All right. Um, Chiefs Kingdom, which makes no sense. I could see if you were a knight. Chiefs Kingdom? I know. That's also stupid. I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back for another hour. We got Dave Hill.
6: News. I'm Rich Johnson. What some are calling a once-in-a-generation winter storm is living up to that hype. The northern plains are feeling well below zero temperatures and big-time wind chills today. As for what's in store for the central plains, here's National Weather Service lead forecaster Bob So We'll
9: have a high temperature of 50 or so today and have a high temperature tomorrow. Five degrees below zero. The
6: storm is already impacting travel by land and air. Chicago, Dallas, New York, and Denver are among the airports already feeling the effects of flight delays and cancellations. Not canceled yet. The visit to Washington by Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky, his Oval Office meeting with President Biden, and address to a joint session of Congress tonight are still on. We're getting details of former President Trump's tax returns released by the House Ways and Means Committee. Trump paid more than a million dollars in taxes in 2018 and 2019, but paid zero in 2020. Looks like YouTube TV will be the new home of Sunday Ticket, the service that sells access to every NFL game on Sundays. The price tag, two and a half billion dollars per season. The celebration of the 50th anniversary of the so-called Immaculate Reception by the Pittsburgh Steelers this weekend won't be nearly as happy as fans had hoped.
0: Last chance for the Steelers. Batcha trying to get away. And his pass is broken up by Tatum.
12: Harris has it.
6: NBC's Kurt Gatty with a call of Frank O'Harris scooping up the ball and scoring giving Pittsburgh that win over the Raiders in 1972. Today we learn that Franco Harris died overnight. No word on the cause. He was 72. As part of this weekend's celebration, the Steelers are going to retire number 32, Harris's number. This is USA News for
7: by
10: government.com.
7: Did you hear? A recent stash of $10 gold liberty coins from the 1800s has been found. These gorgeous gold coins are as bright and shiny as the day they were struck in the late 1800s. And less than 50 of these gold coins are available. Coin experts are calling this gold find an incredible opportunity. 1-888-201-7060, and you are guaranteed a $10 gold Liberty coin minted by the U.S. Mint in the 1800s. But with extremely limited availability, you must call now. These gold Liberty coins from the 1800s are still in uncirculated condition. That is history you can hold in your hand. To learn more, call 1-888-201-7060. Call now, and you'll receive a free American Coin Collector's Bonus Package, a $40 value, free with every order. Call one 888 2017060 now to secure your $10 gold liberty coins dated from the 1800s before they sell out. That's 18882017060.
6: If you have a Chevy Bolt electric car, check the mail. Chevrolet's recalling about 140,000 Bolts because of a seatbelt issue that could cause a fire. Guilty, the verdict against former movie mogul Harvey Weinstein at his sexual assault trial in Los Angeles. But the jury deadlocked on the question of aggravating factors that would have influenced the sentence Weinstein will receive. This is juror Arnold Escuela.
8: We agreed that uh, Mr. Weinstein does have issues, uh, but none of us thought he was innocent. Uh, I think we thought he was fairly guilty in most of the stuff, but it wasn't proven.
6: Escuela says the big factor for he and fellow jurors was how long it's been since the alleged crimes took place. Weinstein's already serving a long sentence for a conviction in New York, and he still faces a similar trial in London. Somebody playing poker last weekend in Atlantic City is having a very nice holiday. The player hit a royal flush at the progressive poker table. The $5 bet turned into a $1.6 million jackpot. According to Harris, Mike Zippel,
11: that's the highest amount that Caesar's
6: Entertainment has given in New Jersey. The dealer who passed out the royal flesh also got a bit of love. He said, "Thank you for dealer. That's your money." I said, "So much. You are the nice person." Dealer Devin Thoppa got a nice tip, a very nice tip, seventy-seven grand. Rich Johnson, USA News
10: business staples has your sign banners for my bakery staples has your sign
4: oh posters for my new pet store
10: floor decals for a pharmacy every day staples associates help every kind of small business create bold signs to make big impressions and now get ten dollars off custom signs banners and posters when you spend fifty dollars or more this is your sign so print it big at staples Ends ten one visit staplesconnect.com thisisyoursign this is your sign for details
2: All right, thank you for that, and welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you, coast to coast and border to border, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's um, it's interesting with sometimes these these change of scenery deals that happen in sports where, you know, I was talking about Sean Maniah and um, just saying, uh, you know, this guy is going to be fantastic here. Um, I brought it up one time, I think it was, it was either Sean Estes or Jeremy Affelt when the Giants signed Jeff Samarja to, was that, $79 million deal? And I said, you know, last year in Chicago, he led the American League in home runs allowed. His ERA was like 4.9. He was really bad. Um... But do you think it returned to the National League? Last time he was in the National League, he was an all-star with the Cubs, even though he was on the A's at the time. And he said, absolutely. All he needs is a change of scenery. Like, I've never been a change of scenery guy. Now, if you play somewhere like Troy Aikman, all he wanted to do is be an Oklahoma Sooner. That's all he wanted to be. And he went there as a freshman, and he ran the wishbone. And he said, can I throw passes? And they are like, no. So he transferred to UCLA. And he won the Heisman and he was the number one overall pick and Super Bowls and in the Hall of Fame. That's where a change of scenery, I understand. But if it's just like this guy was mediocre or he stunk and this team doesn't even want him anymore. Well, we'll go to a new team. Now he's going to be good again. Why? Because he's not on that other team anymore. I, I mean, I- I'm i rooting for Shamanaya because, like I said, I really like him. But to just, I mean, that amount of money, it just shows you, you know, like Brent Musburger said, wow, throw the football in the backyard. You get a girl like, um, what was it, McLaren's girlfriend in the stands, Miss Georgia. You should really have your kid take a ball with his left hand and start pitching. And you're go- he'll go to the big leagues for sure. <laughs> All 800 1-800-878-PLAY. Dave Hill, Mick Yardley in an open segment. Come on back.
13: Are you looking to improve your baseball swing? You need the Rip
10: Grip Pro. Co-created by Dodgers AAA star Drew Avins, the Rip Grip Pro will help you stay palm up, palm down, and pull the barrel of the bat through the zone instead of pushing it. Check out Drew's videos at ripgrippro.com and you'll see how this can help you or the baseball player in your family improve your ABs. Get the adjustability in your swing that you need Go to
13: ripgrippro.com. That's ripgrippro.com.
3: Titillating sports with Rick Tittle. Rick Tittle is a genius. The best show ever. He's so wonderful. Genius. The best show ever. He's so wonderful. Titillating sports. With Rick Tittle. Rick Tittle, is it? He's so handsome. He's a genius.
1: Coming up next,
2: Rick Tittle. Thank you for that, and welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you, coast to coast and around the world, on American Forces Radio Network. It is 12 after the third hour here of our show. We check in with somebody from Pro Wagering and ProWagering.com. It is our friend Mick Yardley, and Mick the Pick. We always talk a little NBA basketball. And uh, Mick, uh, the Warriors were not having a great start to their season defensively. They were kind of just, at at times, a a one-man team. Um, Now, with Steph Curry out for a while, how do you see Golden State getting through these tough times? Hello, Mick. Mick Yardley. We'll try him again. I always try to have a 15 minute question <laughs> leading into, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Sometimes I was a, a guest on a podcast and the young guy was like, how come you say you don't go, Hey, how's it going? You just go right into a question. I go, because that's the way you're supposed to do it. He's like, it is. I'm like, yeah. Um, this is all valuable time. And if you go, hey, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you? Not too bad. How about you? Oh, not too bad. What else is going on? Oh, not too much. How are you doing? I'm like, oh. ah. Yeah, think- let's just get right to it, man. Man, let's just get right to it. Do we have Mick? All right, we'll try him again. Mick the pick, yardly. Mick, I was just mentioning the fact that, you know, the Warriors without Curry right now, and they already weren't playing great defense with him. So what do you think about the situation with Golden State right now? uh yeah sorry about that a call, call just dropped but
9: yeah oh you know without curry that
14: that's a devastating injury right there in the warriors
9: uh and you're right it's
14: earlier in the year they their defense was atrocious and again last night the Knicks went off on them
9: uh they're in trouble without curry because they, they got off to a pretty poor start even with them. And it just and it didn't seem like a lack
2: of talent. It just seemed... Wow. We're uh, 0 for 2 on Mick. Let's try him one more time there. That was just a straight... Ha- that wasn't even a disconnect. That was a hang-up. But I know Mick isn't that way. I did have a guy one time back uh in their previous incarnation and he was supposed to talk about futures and i said what's a hot future right now uh, what's a hot future <laughs> Wow, that was a good one <clears throat> that's a good one richard that's good one um All right, we're trying to get uh we're trying to get Mick one more time here. And um Yeah, are we get do we have Mick again? This is some good live radio right now. By the way, you know, saying the Warriors are one man team, I mean, Jordan Poole came up big the other night. It just it just doesn't work without Curry. You know, especially in that that pandemic bubble season, that was also pretty horrifying as well. And when there was no clay and then Steph got hurt against the Pels, remember he fell down, hit the hardwood hard. And, um, you know, you just think about all the time that, uh, you know, you spend together and practice and you think, uh, you know, can we make it? Can we get through it? Blah, 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 blah. And then you show up on the court. You know, it's just – I also – and now they they don't travel like we do because they have sleepers and they have – They can move about the cabin. They all have their own charter flights. But still, it is a pain to just, especially in the winter months, and it's the middle of the night, and you're de-icing wings, and there's blizzards. I mean, there's a horrible blizzard going on right now on the East Coast. It's just swept across the Midwest as well. And you just think of all this travel. And when you know you're going to (laughs) lose, how much does it really make it Uh, does it make it, well, we don't have Mick. All right. (laughs) All right. We tried anyway. What did we get? He said, yeah, the Warriors are no good without Curry. And we did get that. But it just makes me think like, you know, these, these guys, um, I remember Troy Murphy out of Notre Dame when he was with the Warriors. He said he would chew on the seat in front of him on the plane and he had to go to see a psychologist. Um, but you just think about the days of yore, which wasn't that long ago. I remember going to the Oakland Airport and seeing the Oakland A's there because they were flying commercial. What else was there? What, were they going to rent a plane? Could you imagine the expense? Would they buy their own plane? Can you? Ma- I think once they started renting charters, I think Mark Cuban was actually the first one to actually buy his own plane for the Mavericks. And you think that's a pretty good selling point, you know? Um, uh, you know, if you say, "Well, is it Dallas?" and they go, "Well, we have our own plane," and it's like, "Oh, well, that's good." I remember, um, I pledged a fraternity because of the shower situation. <laughs> there were a couple of fraternities that wanted me, but I stayed. Uh, and there is a kind of a, a test, and then in the morning when you take a shower, there was this like one spigot like, you know, Paris Island, and you there would be like 30 guys naked under one giant, like, faucet. I like, go, this is disgusting. And the one I finally pledged actually had individual stalls. And that was for me. I'm like, every morning I know I can take a shower by myself, which I thought was pretty good, which I thought was pretty cool as well. And, um, okay, we'll try and make again tomorrow. Let's just do that. What I'm going to get Mick for Christmas or Hanukkah right now, whatever uh, he celebrates, or even if he's an atheist, I'll just get him a present. I think I'm going to buy him a, a track phone from Walgreens. <laughs> just get him a burner. But anyway, <clears throat> the we were going to talk a little NBA. Uh, something I was going to bring up with him uh, was the fact that um, Brad Botkin, who's an NBA writer, said that the Lakers blew it, they had a chance to sell high on the unibrow, and now they didn't do it. And, and and to me, that's one of the more harebrained things I've read. You have LeBron James, you have Anthony Davis, the window is now, you add to those guys. If you traded Anthony Davis, who is playing very, very well right now, he's at the top of his game, and now he has a foot injury that's going to keep him out for at least a month, that they blew it by not trading him. Why Why would you wave a white flag on this? Could you imagine LeBron if Palenka and Buss said, yeah, we're going to trade the unibrow and cash in on him? This is a writer on CBS Sports. Now, sometimes people write these things just to be incendiary, or maybe you know somebody's in a bad mood that day and just said, uh, well, you should have traded him. No, I think if you have a guy who's – you know, um, not contributing or who is a, uh, I, I don't know. There's one, there, there are different ways of looking at it, but, and I'm not a Laker insider and I have no idea if the Lakers actually did reach out and try to trade him when he was playing well. I seriously doubt it. I think that would have gotten reported. Somebody would have leaked it one way uh, or another, but, and they say, well, now that he's hurt, you know, like the the Lakers who are under 400, and they're heading into a you know an important stretch of the season right now. As you think about the national games on Christmas, and that's the other thing, the networks. It's like, oh, we have to get Steph Curry on Christmas. Uh, he's not gonna play now. <laughs> it's like, sorry, that's done. All right, uh, that was a whole segment of nothing. We're gonna come back with more nothingness on the other side. one 800 878 I'm Rick Tittle.
10: Watching. Tell me. watching me
0: That's 800-298-9093.
1: Oh, I would love that. And then maybe afterwards we can go field herping. That's when you go out and you look (laughs) for reptiles.
4: Rick Tittle once threw a tennis ball at a donkey.
2: All right. We got some uh, open lines at 1-800-878-PLAY. <clears throat> Aaron Judge has been announced the 16th captain in the history of the New York Yankees. Um, he said, to get a chance to continue my legacy here in Pinstripes, in the best city in the world, the best baseball city, in front of the best fans, this is an incredible honor. This is an incredible honor that I don't take lightly. And we know that Derek Jeter was the captain there for 11 years. Before that, they didn't have a captain for eight years. Don Mattingly did it for four. Before that, they were three years without a captain. It was Louisiana Lightning, Ron Guidry, 86 to 88, along with Willie Randolph. They had had captains at the same time, which is weird. Uh, Craig Nettles was the captain from 82 to 84. Greg Nettles, I should say. It looks like Craig. It's with a G. Of course, Thurman Munson, his position C on his uniform, C in the 70s. Lou Gehrig was captain. Before that, these are guys. um, Everett Smith Everett Smith was the captain from 1922 to 1925. Not one of the big names, but uh, Babe Ruth was captain for one season, 1922. Before that, it was Roger Peckinpah, not Sam, the bloody director. He was a shortstop from the beginning of World War I through 1921. Frank Chase, a first baseman from 1913. First baseman, Hal Chase. I don't know if they're related. Maybe they are. 1910, 11, and 12. Before that, a guy we know, Wee Willie Keeler, an outfielder, 08 and 09. Uh, The second captain in history was shortstop Kid Elberfeld, 1906, 1907, and the first captain in the history of the team, pitcher Clark Griffith, 1903 to 1905. And... When Babe Ruth was made captain in 1922, it only lasted five days because he got in an altercation with a fan at the polo grounds and was stripped of his captaincy. So by the time the Yankees named Jeter captain, he was already in his eighth season and had won four World Series. So winning a World Series is not a prereq, uh, however. um, Mattingly and Munson were both captains before they ever played in a playoff game. So Judge is 30 years old. He was the first pick of the sandwich, or the third pick in the sandwich round. He was the pick number 33 overall nine years ago. Made his debut in 2016, Rookie of the Year in 2017. Uh, he was a rookie with 52 home runs. Of course, hit 62 last year to break the AL record, which has been around Uh, since before I was born and was the American League MVP. So congratulations to Aaron Judge. And it makes sense. I also think it's cool when they don't name a captain. You know, it's like you don't, you know, who's the captain this year? You don't, and now there's some, you know, you have to have one in soccer. You, it's supposed to, the, the captain in soccer, what he's supposed to do, it's not so much. I mean, he is supposed to, as they say in England, G you up, get you ready, and all that stuff. But it's supposed to be the person who talks to the ref. The ref will say, captains, come in here. I need to talk to you. You better tell your teammates, blah, 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 blah. It doesn't really work that way. All right, 1-800-878-PLAY. Email from Chrissy. Chrissy says, Rick at com. Rick, yesterday you mentioned Carlos Beltran by mistake. Will he go into the Hall of Fame? Well, listen, Carlos Beltran, I know voting is going on right now, and he's on the list, and rumors are that it might just be Fred McGriff by himself. Some people think Scott Rowland has a chance. You need 75% of the votes from the Baseball Writers Association of America. And Beltran is a newcomer. He played 20 years, mostly with the Royals and the Mets, but... He was the Yanks and the Cardinals and the Astros and the Rangers and the Giants as well. But um, was it Zach Wheeler they traded for Carlos Beltran? It was, okay. (laughs) But Beltran, um, you know, he played in the 90s, obviously, near the end, and he was Rookie of the Year and hit two ninety three and had over 100 RBI. He's a fantastic player. He really is. And I remember watching that franchise show on Showtime, and he was showing Panda. He would take BP with one hand on the bat, and then he would take BP with just the left hand on the bat, and then he would go to two hands, and Panda was like, I got to try that. But he hit 300. let let's see, four times. He hit in the 290s three times. Um, His on-base percentage went up as he got more experienced. Uh, there's power. He slugged over 510 ten times. So, if you could say he had at least a 125 OPS plus career slash, he's a 279 hitter, uh, which is not bad. If you look at his prime, uh, which was eight seasons 03 to 11, he hit 283. But <clears throat> if you think about what he needs for Cooperstown. 3,000 hits will get you in. He's not that far away, 2,725. That's the 62nd most in history. Um, He also is ninth most hits by any center fielder. He is 29th all-time in doubles with 565 and among center fielders, he's third behind Tris Speaker and Ty Cobb. Yeah, this is, this is some important company he's in. Finished in the top 10 uh, in triples five times. 435 home runs is 47th all time. You know, it's funny. I'm not elderly, but 435 home runs was top 10 when I was in college. Top 10. Now that's 47th. (laughs) You think the ball's a little bit juiced? You think these parks are a little smaller and the bats are a little lighter and there's some performance-enhancing stuff? But uh, runs 1,582, RBI 1,587. He is one of 39 players to go over 1,500 in both categories. The only players not in the Hall of Fame on that list, Albert Pujols, because he's not ready yet. He needs five years retired. A-Rod, Rafael Palmero, Manny Ramirez, Gary Sheffield, Miguel Cabrera, who's just, is he retired officially? Miguel Cabrera retired, right? Uh, Adrian Beltre and uh, Beltron Beltron is 34th all-time in total bases, 25th all-time in extra base hits, 59th in times on base uh, as well. But... The thing that made him so great was his speed. I mean, he was really a game changer. He stole at least 20 bases seven times. Um, The defense was exceptional. He had some knee injuries. I remember one time he he and uh, Mike Cameron, their, like, cheeks came together in a horrible collision. Uh, I have about two minutes left in this segment, but let's go to Chris on the phone lines. How are you doing, Chris?
8: Great to hear you back, man. I, I know you had a great time out there in New York and Philly and all those other good places seeing our American history. And uh, have you, real quick, have you seen the Devotion movie, the one about the uh, the gentleman in the Korean War?
2: No, I haven't have seen it. No.
8: Okay, uh, good stuff. You know, it's I'm, I'm doing a little more uh, Korean War uh, Interesting, you know the Chosen Reservoir. It's kind of we just passed that anniversary, but uh, all right, man. I know, and I missed earlier part of the show. I'm sure you talked about your buddy Franco Harris and the Immaculate reception, which today, in my opinion, would not have been an actual play, because they would recall it. But, but, you know, is that is there any truth to the rumor that the Raiders were basically saying that the uh, refs were trying to um, just get out of the stadium and, and we're not going to overturn
9: that call? Is there any truth to that?
2: Well, I mean, I, <clears throat> I remember the play very well, even though I was little. That was the first time instant replay was used, and it wasn't a rule. The refs went to the sideline. They watched the replay many, many times on TV. And even though Frenchie Fuqua... Um, touched it, for, you know. Touched it, and you can't go from one uh, teammate to another. Right. The ref came out after watching it on TV and signaled touchdown, and that was not allowed by NFL rules to check replays back then.
8: Right, but wasn't wasn't? I mean, because when you when you watch the NFL films, they don't show the ball actually touching the ground. People say that you know that uh, Franco Harris has kind of grabbed it was you know either on his feet or. You know, he, he got it before it hit the ground, but most people, you know, a lot of people say oh, I don't, Raider, I, don't I don't, I don't think it, it hit the ground. It
2: it didn't hit the ground.
8: Okay, so you're because I I listened to a uh, you know KCBS earlier today with Steve Bidker, and he was saying basically that you know he was a Raiders fan all the times in college, but he says you know at the time obviously it was you know against the Raiders, but he thinks that it actually was a legit play. Is that kind of your take?
2: Well, I Raider? mean, no, because it hit Fuqua and then it went back to Harris, and you're not allowed to have two consecutive. Players on a live ball like that uh, in the air, so it was not a legit play, and then they broke the rules looking at a replay, so it shouldn't have counted. But I don't believe the ball hit the ground; I think it's at least two inches off the ground.
8: Okay, and so the fact that it was, uh, and I didn't realize this until I heard today, but it was Pittsburgh's first playoff win. You know, and obviously go on to have a great, you know, four, you know, the four championships in the '70s. But the um, the fact that they were, you know, the, the refs were going to be intimidated to overturn the call. You don't think that played a factor?
3: No,
2: I don't think so. But, you know, the Tom Brady era started after the tuck rule, and then their era started after that, and they can both kiss my seat. Hey, Chris, I got (laughs) to run, man, but thanks for the call. (laughs) Thanks. All right, Dave Hill on the other side. Come on back.
4: like watching my grandson steal second mean a lot to me but after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer or mbc which is breast cancer that is spread to other parts of the body they mean even more i take eyebrows palpal Ibrant's 125 milligram tablets with an aromatase inhibitor is for postmenopausal women or for men with HR positive HER2 negative NBC as the first hormonal based therapy. Ask your doctor about Ibrant's and visit ibrant's.com. Ibrant's may cause low white blood cell counts that may lead to serious infections. Ibrant's may cause severe inflammation of the lungs. Both of these can lead to death. Tell your doctor right away if you have new or worsening symptoms including trouble breathing, shortness of breath, cough, or chest pain. Before taking Ibrant's, tell your doctor if you have fever
7: If you're taking a calcium supplement, it's probably not doing what you think it is. That's because you still lose bone density with traditional calcium supplements. That's where calcium from algae comes in. AlgaeCal Plus doesn't just stop bone loss. It's the only supplement ever shown to increase bone density in clinical studies. That's right. Algae Cal Plus increases bone density, even if you're in your 80s. That's because your bones need more than just calcium and vitamin D to stay strong. There are actually 13 minerals and three vitamins needed to build healthy new bone, and Algae Cal Plus contains all of them, and it's proudly made in the USA. Your calcium doesn't increase bone density. Algae Cal Plus does. Talk to one of our bone health consultants today and see how Algae Cal Plus can and start increasing your bone density. Call now.
0: 800-437-8217. 800-437-8217. 800-437-8217. That's 800-437-8217.
12: Remember in the beginning, when you first started to build a life for you and your family, you never imagined it would come to this. Instead of living your dreams, you're living with debt. In fact, it's smothering you, Call the Debt Helpline
0: now. 800-943-2153. 800-943-2153. 800-943-2153. That's 800-943-2153.
10: It doesn't really matter. I, uh, I don't like my job, and uh, I don't think I'm going to go anymore.
4: thinks there's a direct correlation between dogs and lightning
2: all right, thank you for that uh, we're waiting on uh, Dave Hill <coughs> and when he calls, I'm going to do something quite novel. I'm going to throw him on the air pick him up, and just toss him over my shoulder and throw him on the air. <coughs> a lot of people ask me about sketch fest they think it's just sketches and and you'd be correct to assume such a thing uh there's all sorts of things. <coughs> A few years ago, I went to see, right before the pandemic, so it must have been 2019, to see uh, Robert Klein. And um, I I missed a great opportunity for um, a funny line, and it still, I don't want to say haunts me, but I just regret, like, usually I feel like I come up with the funny line as much as I can. I'm not a comedian. But <clears throat> my mom... Her favorite comedian's Robert Klein, and I never do anything with my mom, so I thought, I'm such a terrible son, so for Christmas, and I was getting in free because of this, I said, let's go see Robert Klein at the Marines Memorial. She's like, oh my gosh, that'd be so great, and so we went to see Robert Klein, and Robert Klein, in the 60s, talked about, you know, Summer of Love, and everybody was doing it with everybody else, and... So we they were taking questions, and uh, I went to the side of the stage. And uh, I said, uh, yeah, my mom's here. You're her favorite comedian. And he said, uh, did I know your mom in the 60s? And I should have said, are you my dad? But I said, no, you didn't know her. Anyway, I was like, God, it was right there. I would have got the biggest laugh of the night. It was right there. <laughs> I blew it. And then I went to see um, Brian Regan, who I love, being interviewed by Jackass Jones. I have no idea what the guy's name was, but this guy, they sat in two chairs opposite each other. And the poor guy had no interviewing skills whatsoever. And he was a nervous wreck and he was sweating bullets. And he was like, almost like the Chris Farley show. Like, you you, you remember remember when... uh, Ooh. Come on, man. Or, <clears throat> you know, I love uh, Dana Carvey and David Spade, and they have a podcast together called Fly on the Wall, a- talking about SNL with a lot of people who've been on. But Dana Carvey, and he talks about it too, He he's a horrible <laughs> host because he can't stop talking. And when he asks a question, he'll answer it three different ways. He'll say by the way you know just out of the blue by the way what was your favorite children's toy? God okay, be like Oh well I mean like you know was it like a bike or was it like you know a toy gun or a basketball like did you have a lot of GI Joes did you have like Planet of the Apes figures like did you you know was it a scooter or something? Actually, because for me, uh, like my favorite toy, and I'm like, oh, Dana, just let the other guy. And he says, you know, people tell me I talk too much and I'm trying to stop. <laughs> he just can't stop. <clears throat> I know somebody in radio in this town that does that too, though. He'll say like, what do you think was the, you know, he'll have somebody on from the, like i will have Farhan Zaidi. Farhan, uh, where do you think it broke down with uh, Aaron Judge? I mean, like, was it a kind of thing where they thought the money wasn't enough or maybe, you know, maybe, you know, that the Giants weren't aggressive enough. And I know that the other owner was involved. And uh, do you think maybe it was a anyway, he gives out 50 different scenarios. And there are some people I have found in this industry. You see, I'm killing time till Dave Hill calls. There are some people in this industry that are so in love with the sound of their own voice. And I tell you how you can find out how who those people are when their show starts getting preempted. If they're happy or they're sad, and I was always happy because I was getting paid the same, <laughs> and so many times like, oh, I'm only going to be on the air for two fifteen instead of three hours. Wait a minute, you're mad? Ah, oh, I'm not going to get to all my topics. I go, what are you, Lincoln? Is this the Gettysburg Address? Which, by the way, was apparently like three minutes long. Um, meanwhile, people like me are like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> I'm still getting it paid for 3 hours. And it's not cuz I'm a lazy ass, it's just I, you know, <clears throat> I'm not in love <laughs> with the sound of my own voice. And if you are love and th- in love with the sound of your own voice, that's that's great for you too. Uh, bully for you if that if that's what you want to do. But anyway, just going behind the scenes a little bit here telling you some of the ins and outs of uh of broadcasting. Um, by the way, I mentioned to many people yesterday that I had Dr. Robert from the Blow Monkeys, nothing. Um, Darren here at work, who's my age, he had heard of the Blow Monkeys, uh, but it was a shutout on everybody else. And I was huge into music and I loved, uh, you know, the next British invasion. All I thought it was interesting talking to that author yesterday about rock and roll in the 60s is he said there was not one foreigner <clears throat> who um, was on the top of the charts and to have someone from England was almost unheard of. All eight hundred eight seven 1-800-87A play. Um, we're waiting for Dave Hill. The transfer portal and signings is going on and everybody expects a lot of players going to Colorado, obviously, because of Deion Sanders. Do you know what Deion Sanders is making? <clears throat> And by the way, he is a state employee of Colorado. I remember when I was in college, the highest paid state employee was Terry Donahue, who was the head coach at UCLA then. Sanders, this year at CU, will get $5.5 million. He will also have something called base pay of 500000 I don't know what that means, but it's an extra half mil. Um, for radio, television and public appearances, 1.75 million, any promotion and fundraising, 1.75 million. And then he gets one and a half million for development of the student athlete. Is that grades? Um, then the next season, so this is also for next year, 2024, it's 5.7 million. 2025, 5.9, 2026, 6.1, 2027, 6.3. It's the largest package ever given to a football coach in that state. Athletic director uh, Rick George says the university does not have the money yet to pay him. Now, I don't know about Buff's boosters. Are they going to uh, pick it up? He was also given a $5 million salary pool for any assistance and also any support staff. Um, now the penalties are stiff. If he decides to leave before the end, if he does leave early, he will owe Colorado university 15 million in liquidated damages. Yes. That's where your money gets really wet. Um, after the second, that's if he leaves in the first year. If he leaves in the second year, he owes them $10 million, then $8 million, and then $5 million in the other years. If CU decides to buy him out, they will owe him 75% of the remaining base uh, salaries as well. <clears throat> now, he also has incentives. And by the way, I'm not predicting this ending well. I don't see Deion Sanders being a Tom Osborne or a Nick Saban. I see this more, I mean, not even an Urban Meyer because he won a national champion. I just see this ending, you know, with his personality. Now, he did a great job at Jackson State, but with his hubris, his personality, the way he talks, telling everybody to transfer, his son's going to be the quarterback. I don't know, but... Here are the incentives. If they win the national championship, he gets $750,000. If they go to a New Year's Six bowl game, one of the big ones, $450,000. If they win six games, which isn't much, it makes you bowl eligible, he gets $150,000. If they win the Pac-12, another hundred and fifty. dollars If they get invited to any bowl game outside the New Year's Six, $150,000. If he's named National Coach of the Year, also one hundred and fifty thousand. For so, if he gets the six wins, he gets one hundred and fifty. Every win after that is worth a one hundred thousand dollar bonus. If CU just gets to the Pac-12 Championship Game, he gets seventy-five k. That's probably what he pays for a car. I would maybe he pays more for a car. If he's named Pac-12 Coach of the Year, seventy-five thousand dollars. Now this is interesting. If the Colorado football team gets what's called an academic progress rate of at least a 965, then he'll get a $50,000 bonus. So what that means is, and I don't know what an academic progress rate of 965 is, but that just means if your players are actually getting passable grades, I would imagine, that's the lowest thing on the totem pole is grades and that's what it should be. He's not hired to make these kids get good grades. I always hate it when they go, what's his graduation rate? That's not his job. His job is to make Colorado a place where kids wanna go and get on TV and make money and make money for the conference, which they like as well. There's one other thing. When he moves to Colorado, they're gonna give him $20,000 for moving expenses. Now I know moving is expensive but Um, $20,000. And so we know what happened in the cricket celebration bowl didn't go his way, but uh, now he's at CU. And it's funny because all through the nineties, I mean, Colorado, they had that co-national championship. They had that famous fifth down that they shouldn't have had during the Cordell Stewart years. Um, And, but they were a team that had to be reckoned with. And then CU Uh, Turned into an absolute uh, poo-poo house. (laughs) And by the way, before we go to the break, do you know that Cal, still winless, might be the first team in decades to not win a basketball game all year? That a lot of people think that that is actually going to happen, that they will not win a game all year. Something to keep your eye on, speaking of the Pac-12. All right, so a no-show from Dave Hill. All right. I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back on Sports Bible.
0: 800-754-4531
11: listen up guys are you experiencing any of the following fatigue less drive poor performance if so you may be one of the nearly 30 million men in the u.s today dealing with ed Call today and ask about our buy one, get one free offer.
0: 800-761-9334. 800-761-9334. 800-761-9334. That's 800-761-9334.
4: Has someone in your family lost a job recently and now you can't afford your mortgage payment? Or do you have a rental property and your tenants aren't paying you? sell a home you can't afford or just don't want to get the cash you need today
0: 800-788-1495 800-788-1495 800-788-1495 that's 800-788-1495
6: to me it's like a
0: mountain a vast bowl of pus
4: His servants.
2: All right. Uh, thank you for that. And um, congratulations to uh, Scott, the uh, first email of the day, uh, who wins our Columbia sportswear product. Guests of Sports Byline receive Columbia sportswear products. Never go inside again. With the warmth that Columbia's Omni Heat Infinity provides through its advanced reflective technology, you can stay outside through anything and everything. Go to Columbia.com slash gold to shop now. Once again, Columbia's Omni Heat Infinity. Go to Columbia.com slash gold to shop now. <clears throat> uh, also, my, um, my review of the collaboration wasn't great. Uh, I know that. But I will say this about New York City. Last year, it was the. Um, the weather was better when I was there, but it was the um, explosion, ground zero, of the Omicron variant. And so a lot of people were still staying scarce. In fact, I went to the Rockettes and a week later they shut down again. Um, but now, and I was able to skate at Rockefeller Center. I just went right down and skated. This year, you couldn't even move around 30 Rock. Like it was like, the worst bar overcrowding. I mean, you had to, like, go sideways and sidle and shoulder to shoulder. Just absolutely jam-packed. <clears throat> TSAs are jam-packed uh, as well. Uh, so if you are going to be traveling uh, this week for Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever, atheism, go ahead because <laughs> you have the day off. Whatever is good for you. Um, and this is the thing too. I understand atheism. People get mad when I say that, but it's like, you have to believe in something invisible. Uh, yeah. And when people die, they come back to life. No, he's still in the box. He looks pretty dead. So I understand atheism. I'm not, but I get it. <laughs> but whatever. I guess I'm here to give you the travel tip of go to the airport earlier than you ever thought. I'm Rick Tittle. And with that travel tip, we'll see you tomorrow at 9 a.m. Pacific time.